are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. Today, I'm very excited because we have a a new author with a new book. Actually, is this your first book, Tom? It is. Okay, excellent. And we're going to be talking about his book, Containing Big Tech, which we just found out is being released on August 22nd. So you'll be hearing this podcast shortly before it's released, or maybe you'll be listening to it shortly after. So the folks in the room haven't actually seen the book yet, but they're going to learn a lot more about it. Bob Demusho is with me as usual. He also got a review copy of Tom's book, which we're very graciously sent us. So we both got familiar with his material. And what I was going to tell you, Tom, is interesting to me, a book that's written like this is get to know somebody very well before you even meet them because of the book. And like we understand your values and your virtues and way more about you. And I think that that's a cool thing an author has the ability to do uh, is to connect with readers in an intimate way before they've even met them. So by the time we meet you, we're like, Heck, I already know Tom. This is the yeah. first time I've talked to him. I like reading the words that he's he's put so much passion into. So uh, this topic actually and piggybacks on our last tech crew, which was about artificial intelligence, which was a very lively discussion. And it is an interesting time in our world, probably one of the most interesting times we've ever had for lots of us. And I kind of feel like it's the birth of the Internet again. But now we know there's much more at stake than we did, I think, back when the internet started. Um, And we've got a few guests in the room with us today. So if you guys have any questions, the camera's right there, you can walk over there. Um, But why don't we uh, jump into it? And Tom, why don't you just give us, you know, the quick elevator pitch on what the book is about, why you wrote it, and what you hope people get from it. Great. Well, thanks for having me on. So yeah, I'm a Silicon Valley-based entrepreneur, investor, and do some policy advising. And uh, I wanted to create a simple and comprehensive look at the issues concerning big tech uh, that maybe some of the non-technical people or folks that you know don't live and breathe this stuff every day that they could get a better understanding of you know some of the issues, some of the concerns uh, associated with big tech. Um, and then the second thing is, is that, you know, as we face AI, we face the, the constant collection of information, I also wanted to provide some solutions that, that we as individuals could use um, or even policymakers, um, you know, could, could put forth. And then finally, there's just been so much stuff. And you mentioned this before, there's kind of this whole AI revolution, even though AI has been going on kind of in the background for say 10, 15 years, it's really come to the forefront. But we also have other stuff like TikTok. We've got some new laws, including in California here, but 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 also in Europe and stuff being considered in the US. And so I really wanted to have the latest and greatest be uh, be reflected in this book as well. So those are some of the motivations and and kind of the stuff that's in it. And you are personally involved in some of the legislative things that are going on. Why don't you talk a little bit about your political involvement? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, Brian, you were obviously been in the tech industry. I know a lot of your people uh, in the audience and will listen to it are, are 
in the tech industry or interested in the tech or uh, have businesses that, that leverage technology. And so I've been in Silicon Valley, oh gosh, you know, close to 30 years now. And historically, I started my career at Oracle. And uh, so I worked for large tech companies and did, did the startup things, et cetera. And in my last job, I was uh, fortunate to found and be CEO of a company called Centrify. It's a cybersecurity company, grew it to $100 million. It got acquired. And then as I was taking time off, I, I really wanted to learn more about privacy um, and then really rolled up my sleeves uh, because I'd always been exposed to it, um, but really wanted to like, well, what are people saying? What are people doing? And then I got involved with a guy by the name of Alistair McTaggart. He had a California proposition uh, in 2020 called Prop 24, which was the California Privacy Rights Act or CPRA. Um, and I actually, hooked up with him. And then for six months, I was a full-time volunteer working on that campaign. In effect, I was the chief marketing officer and that passed. And then that kind of gave me the bug of, look, you know, California, not only do you have direct democracy with propositions, but, you know, if you get to know a, a politician or have a good idea, they'll listen to it. And so I'm very fortunate that my local state senator, Josh Becker, uh, likes me, he listens to me. Um, and so most recently, um, I actually proposed to him and co-wrote a, a bill, which is Senate Bill 362, called the California Delete Act. Um, and uh, it passed the Senate. It's working its way th uh, through the assembly as we speak here uh, at the end of July. Um, and so that's how I got involved in doing policy stuff. So all the, the experience of being a tech CEO, an entrepreneur, uh, doing policy, writing laws kind of led me to eventually write this book because I, I wanted to give readers a clear path forward to rein in online surveillance, AI, and even look at the monopoly positions some of these large companies have. Yep, I think that's great. And I, if you look closely at the cover, you have icons that I think are not randomly put in there. Can you want to talk about each of the tentacles of this octopus or actually you refer back to this image as being something from the oil monopoly days where you adapted that. But do you want to talk a little bit about what the different, what the cover yeah. means? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so in fact, it even goes, uh, it's even before the oil monopolies. And again, there's like a California uh, vibe with this in that uh, we had the robber barons, which was, you know, the big four, like Leland Stanford, right? Uh, was one of the big four. And they, here in California and throughout the West Coast, they, they formed a railroad monopoly. And so in 1882, they were presented as this huge octopus, you know, grabbing industries and, and wreaking havoc, dominating politics, et cetera. Stanford, I think was also governor at one point as well. And, and, and their collective investment of like $15,000 made them in in the equivalent of you know multi-billionaires so they were kind of like the first silicon valley uh, people that you know tech billionaires in this case it was the railroads and then we we had uh, a similar uh imagery associated with standard oil and so i wanted to take that you know kind of that octopus analogy that we've historically used for these big companies that became monopolies. But obviously here we are in the digital world. So it's in the cloud, right? So that's the cloud in the middle. It's not actual physical, it's virtual. 
but then each tentacle reaches out and it's an app, right? You know, an app logo. And so one of it, which shows a camera representing digital surveillance. Another one shows uh, your, your ID being stolen for identity theft. Another one showing your brain, you know, with AI. Um, another one showing kind of the impact uh, of misinformation, disinformation, our democracy. So, uh, so actually I kind of thought that through, I wanted to, pay tribute to the past representations of large monopolies, but modernize it in the digital age with the cloud and apps, et cetera. So that's that's kind of the backstory behind the cover. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because uh, I'm, I'm a history, I graduated from Michigan in, with a history degree. So I, I, some of that history aspect is, is coming through with this book. Well, and each icon essentially represents a chapter in the book, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was kind of forced to, to keep it at eight chapters, but that's probably a good thing for the readers too. Thank you. you have a question, Ben? Well, I, I was curious as I read through the, the book and I kind of exchanged some email with Tom about this as well. And, and that is that it, the book looks very much from the negative side of things that will go wrong with this, but not the positive side of the upside of the technology as well. So, I mean, like any tool, it cuts both ways. And I, I guess a little conversation about that would, would be interesting because the, the thing that, that I read that really struck me in your book was that one of the big problems is the quality of the data and we have no audit, we have no recourse, we have no, you know, we have no protection that it's accurate. I don't, I don't have a problem with ads following me around the internet. I find that kind of beneficial a lot of times. But what bothers me is when the data it's basing things on and deciding whether I can rent something is not actually my data. It's someone else or it's, it's flawed in that, in that process. And, and auditing terabytes of data is an incredibly difficult task. Yeah. No, you, you raise incredible points, and I'm, I'm glad we had that conversation, and I encourage uh, other people in the audience, if they, if they get the book, they want to follow up with me, just, you can go to my website and contact me, and uh, and uh, Bob even found a mistake, and and, uh, and so I, I corrected it there, so, and he got, he has full credit for it as well, so, uh, so I want this to be a living document and breathing document, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I per, look, I, I did say, I didn't want to have five chapters on how great Google is, right? You know, it, it is, I basically said, it's the library of, you know, Alexandria, right? In our fingertips. And uh, and so, um, you know, I, I, I work in the tech industry and there's been a lot of beneficial things. And specific to the collection of information, you're right. Historically, it's been about the collection of information to serve ads. And that's the key business model. And And I know maybe your audience here is more tech savvy, but the average person, if you stop them on the street and said, how does Google make money or how does Facebook make money? And they're like, oh, well, they have products that they sell to consumers. And no, it's actually advertising, right? That's their core. And they made the business decision to collect as much information. And remember, I said I, I started into this as a cybersecurity person, right? And I know there's probably people that get involved in cybersecurity in the in the room and and your listeners as well and and I was CEO of a company and and I was like shocked to see the amount of data and the type of data being stolen and what's happening is these large tech companies have this massive amounts of information some of them have been hacked right 
but also that there 20% of security breaches involve insiders and there's been some horrific use you know internal issues associated with that data collection so the first and foremost thing that kind of got me interested in is the whole identity theft issue associated with the over collection of information that they can that hackers can use this information that they can get to better fish you they know they they send you a text because they got that info that that your your phone number and they know personal things about you etc. And then it's led to other issues um, that actually these companies have been found guilty. So the same technology that can serve you an ad, say for example, um, uh, you're a, a young woman, uh, single, and has young kids. And maybe uh, you're a diaper manufacturer with a uh, more affordable diaper. You want to target those people. But unfortunately, that th the same thing that can be used to target you um, to serve the, that demographic can be used to exclude people. And, and Bob, you're absolutely right. It turns out a lot of this data collection that happens, um, if I go search a website for something, a disease that I think I like, oh my God, what's this red thing right here? I must have cancer, right? So I Google cancer on the skin and all of a sudden people think I have skin cancer, the advertisers, um, et cetera. And that can be used against you uh, down the road where that someone may want to discriminate based on, I don't want to hire someone that has cancer. And so I think the fundamental issue is, is that with this behavioral-based advertising, I'm not talking about contextual ads. We've always had contextual ads where like in newspapers, you went to the travel section, there was, you know, travel agents had ads right there. I'm talking about advertising that follows you based on your personal information um, to different websites. And I just don't think it's healthy to do that for kids, right? Because, because kids are, I mean, when we were, when you and I were kids, we watched TV cartoons on Saturday, right? And we were inundated with ads. These ads can now be personalized and really nudge and 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 shape kids in ways that we may not want to have that happen. And I also don't think behavioral advertising should also be used for our sensitive information. And so I've actually recently was using uh, a equivalent of Wordle, and they were showing ads based on something that I had searched for two or three years ago regarding a medical condition, and it was very specific, and that freaked me out. Uh, when I saw that as well. So we really need to think about, can we give rights to people to say, no, do not collect this type of information and please delete it because I don't think it's healthy for society for uh, from an identity theft, et cetera, that this data could be misused. Well, as you said, we as technologists understand more about how they're collecting this information. It's really scary, especially an older demographic that are being targeted by the scammers and being exploited. And there's money, billions of dollars being stolen from our parents who click on the first link that pops up when they do a Google search. And there, Google is not verifying that that first link is not a scammy company because oftentimes it is. I mean, you can do this with, with Amazon publishing. It's happening right now. A client of mine clicked on the first link. It said amazonpublishingservices.com. She's like, well, this must be Amazon. They took $600 from her to publish her book and she never heard from them again. That was an ad that, that Google was allowing them to run on, for a search term. But Google has no responsibility for, for driving her to that first click. It seems to me that she should be able to sue Google because 
you're the ones that didn't filter out that this was an Amazon. So as you said in the book, it's, you know, in America, it's profits over people. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what rules the roost. And especially with these big companies that are, you know, in the best interest of the shareholders, not in the best interest of the users. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not proposing that we implement airplane type security uh, where, you know, there's very rarely an airplane crash, but there's just, you know, TSA to get through and there's, you know, all this testing and all that stuff. Right. But we can have the equivalent of uh, the type of guardrails associated with automobiles and like requiring seatbelts, right? Requiring that manufacturers put airbags in it. Um, and, you know, people don't complain about uh, like when you and I were kids, we were stuck in the back seat, put the seatbelt on, right? I mean, but if you had a grandkid, would you put your, your three-year-old in a seatbelt? No, you would put him in the, the car seat, right? Right, and, and strap them up and have them face backwards, right? And, uh, and so I think the thing is, is that for the last 20, 30 years, is that these tech companies have been completely unregulated as it relates to what they can do with our information. And I think it's, it, it's and people are completely ignorant of that and it has these negative consequences. And what I'm just simply trying to do in this book is, is like, hey, I'm here in Silicon Valley, just like you, Brian and Bob, you know what's happening, right? And uh, we can accept it. We can kind of maybe nap. We, you and I wouldn't click on that link or we may not fall for, for that scam or whatever. Or we know to go You're to right. Reddit and search for that company. Exactly. But, but, but other people do not do that, right? And the average person doesn't do that. And, and I'm just simply saying, like, I want people to be aware of this. But the other thing is, is that I also want to provide solutions. And like, for example, the solution is like on iPhone, turn on app tracking transparency. Stop the third parties from collecting your information. On Chrome, on your, your Windows PC, install something like EFF's privacy badger to stop the third parties from, from tracking your information. Android, there isn't anything equivalent to uh, Apple's AT&T. So I downloaded an app called DuckDuckGo it's a it's a it's a web surfing it's a browser i don't use it for that but it has a built-in capability to block third-party trackers and so immediately if you just spend 30 seconds turning these things on the the mass amount of data exhaust gets reduced right and then there's other things that could be done as well yeah my question especially when you get to the chapter on children which i think is is a big deal is that there is a balance here that nobody's really talking about in, in that if we identify children, you create an exposure. And if you don't identify children, or if you identify them, you're violating their privacy. I mean, there's this privacy and data conflict that nobody's really talking about to any degree. I, I wonder what your observation of that is. If you require identity on the internet, which you don't have today, Mm -hmm. you're going to end up identifying children that bad people can target. You're going to end up, you know, a lot of the value of the internet has been that they, a lot of the data doesn't know who you are. Are you 21? Yes. Yeah. Are you 21? (laughs) Yes. 
yeah, I, mean, look, I, I have so many profiles on Google that I have every age range covered. <laughs> senior citizen, everything in between. Well, look, um, the reality is is that um, if you knowingly does if you have a product that you know is going to be used by children, that there may be some capabilities or features that you should have um, that uh, that you should enable. Um, for those people. And we'll talk more about just, I'll talk in a second, but let me give you a specific example. I do not think it is good that a child should get notifications at midnight, one o'clock in the morning that someone's doing something on a social media network. I don't think it's good that a stranger can can message a, a kid on a, a on a social platform, right? And those are things that until recently, until pressure was put on, that that was allowed, right? And that that just that causes a lot of issues in terms of uh, stalking, um, cyberbullying, as well as kids just being completely whacked out because of the technology. Um, that they that it leads to issues such as depression or poor performance in schools, etc. So it's also so, breaching their privacy to a large degree. Well, you're telling you're telling the outside world that they're a minor. Yeah, well, but here's the thing. What you can do is there's a there's a workaround, which is these tech companies, can, they're smart enough to know that I without knowing exactly and without them revealing the tech companies can figure out if it's actually a child. Right. Based on like in social media every kid puts their high school down they may say they're 21 but so they can get so they can connect with people you if you grab your kids i mean i got three kids right they put down their high school their college right that's that's where they're currently at is you know i'm at x i'm at cal poly you know so they're probably over 18 if they're putting down cal poly right it's also who they interface with um within 10 seconds the gaming sites can know based on kids' movements, et cetera, if it's a kid or if it's an adult, et cetera. So you can constructively put together and have a good idea that this particular user is a minor without having them to reveal it. If they can serve us an ad three years later on a medical condition that you did one Google search, they can figure out after a, a couple weeks of kids saying, I really love that, you know, that had a great time at prom and, uh, you know, the seventh grade teacher sucks, that it's probably a kid. And so therefore they should actually have additional safety standards. Like no one objects to, you know, when's the last time you said, I really hate the fact that I have to put my three-year-old grandchild in a car seat, right? Um, and maybe people complain like, well, when I was a kid, the, the playgrounds were all concrete. Now it has wood chips on it. Right. But hey, uh, but but there's probably been enough broken arms and elbows, et cetera, that the, the new law is a certain thing. So we have all these standards that in the physical world to protect kids. And so we can say, can we 
put some of the same similar standards right there. But but Bob, 100% agree with you. It's it's a slippery slope when like, you know, show me your passport or whatever, that maybe it's the wrong entity that you're showing the passport. But you can limit that. To, you could actually regulate that the large tech platforms that have more than 50 monthly average users, that they should, because they have the constructive knowledge, that they should not allow strangers to message them. Right. I mean, that's a simple thing. And uh, and actually, um, Meta was fined in Europe, you know, a couple hundred million dollars because until recently they let anyone contact a kid. And that's just not healthy. All right. I'm going to unmute Troy. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I would just oh. one of the comments that I considered when we were talking about. Hang on. Can you hear Troy? It's I, I can, but it's it's a little not as loud. Sorry, we're trying a new system here. No problem. Okay, now go ahead. I was going to say, uh, in the context of... You can't do that. Okay. Stop. Turn the microphone first. All right. Sorry, Troy. Let's try this again. I'll just say, um, you know, what what, what of the, the constructs here that you're referring to is as far as a behavioral tracking, which is done quite easily in the context of a profit motive which is to serve you an ad, right? There's behavioral tracking that's happening all the time in most situations where let's just say someone as a minor is logged in in some shape or form and you may check the box that indicates that you're a certain age. However, the digital footprint or the exhaust that exists, for example, I'm mad at my seventh grade teacher, or other examples that you had mentioned, those are also signals. Those signals could be leveraged, for example, to create those guardrails that you're referring to, right? This person doesn't appear to be of legal age. So you know, there, there are, if I'm going to use the technology, there's other ways to leverage that technology and that data set to actually to create a safer environment for minors, which Unfortunately, there's no profit motive there, right? The profit motive exists to serve as many ads or as many things as I can. And um, so I, I will lean on the positive side here. You're referring towards, you know, opportunities around legislation. And, and California is, I would say, very much thought forward to that. You know, that, that negative connotation could be turned around Right. Even in, you know, in the tech world, it's like, look, you know, you're maybe there's a way for you to override, but it appears that this is a minor that is accessing this information. So therefore, let's create some guardrails automatically was just a thought or a comment that came to my mind. Yeah, no, I, I, that's a that's a great point. And um, I, I, agree, I agree with you that that the, the tech that look you know, most businesses don't want regulation, but, and we've, we've given them zero regulation. And, you know, if you look at various metrics, you, you look at the, the, the suicide rate has gone up. The depression rate has gone up. Is it a hundred percent based on tech? I'm not saying that, right. But a lot of this uh, has to do, but, but there is studies that shown that people's self-worth um, is not as strong because of what's happening in these platforms. And so, uh, so I just think that, um, you know, we should, especially when it comes to kids, that 
that no one objects to some of these physical guardrails that we put up to protect kids. And there are ways that we can put up some digital guardrails that doesn't violate people's privacy um, that could actually just maybe address some of these issues. Like the big issue that I have with, with some of my kids is like lack of sleep. They're up, right? Um, and it doesn't work to their advantage that they're getting notified at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning from their, the one friend that's up, right? And so um, th there could be, you know, some guardrails put up in terms of when people can get notified, et cetera. So those are, those are just examples right there. Um, but at the end of the day, I fundamentally believe that, that uh, we should have some basic rights, right? And some of the rights should be, I, ha I should have the right to know what's being collected. I should have the right to say no to the selling of information. And I should have the right to be forgotten, which is I should have the right to delete the information that you collect about me uh, as well. And so it's just kind of like the, the word privacy doesn't show up in the US Constitution. Now, luckily, it's in the California Constitution, um, but I think we should have some, you know, a modern day Bill of Rights uh, as it relates to privacy and AI. Hey, Tom. Hey. I, I haven't read your book yet. I did just get the audible version of it. It looks great. Oh, thank uh, you. Um, my name is Shane Weddle, by the way. Uh, I'm curious. I have two young daughters, uh, ages 9 and 11, and they just went through human growth and development. At their, well, the older one did. And then a few years before that, right before the pandemic in the STEAM classes, there's an effort to try and get them to also have a digital kind of, it was a very short class. It kind of fell apart because the uh, pandemic came along, but it was something they were trying at my local school. Uh, is there, within your book or your research, have you seen anything with education at a young age for kids to start? You know, we teach kids how to, how to drive cars and, and or well, you know, as for young adults and whatnot. We do all these things with education. Do you see that within, uh, we even teach them programming, right? But do you see yeah. anything with safety of, of the internet coming along within education system? Uh, not really. Actually, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm actually thinking of potentially doing something like that, which is like create some, like a free online course or something like that. But the, the, the thing is, is that, um, you know, kids are so trusting, right? And um, and and that that leads them to vulnerabilities. And uh, you know, they they should be taught like, hey, you do need to not make your your social profile to be public. It should be private, right? Um, you should um, not post, you know, certain photos that. We teach them other safety in the world, right? We we yeah. try to teach them other things about yeah. anything you name in school that we teach. It's, yeah, like don't 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 do something with a stranger, right? Don't talk to a stranger, right? Etc. But like, oh, I got a message from Phil Smith. Uh, sorry, Phil, if you're out there, uh, you know, you know, like, oh, let me reply, right? You know, so yeah, I, I agree with nice you. Education be a part of it. But there's also this. There's also a cybersecurity aspect of as well, which is that like there's a lot of phishing, there's there's hacking. I also think that, you know, kids should also be taught like the you know not to share the share their passwords, have the same passwords, etc. So I I do think look, we are in the digital age, right? And I 100% agree with you that you know that there should be um, some sort of uh, 
you know, education, just like, you know, when, when you and I were probably in school, we had to do home ec or not home ec, uh, was it shop, right? You know, you know, we make, we cut the pieces of wood and all that stuff. And that was great, right? But we should have the equivalent uh, and, and people also took home ec courses. And I, I agree with you. I think there should be just kind of digital education um, that, that covers privacy, cybersecurity, uh, et cetera, because otherwise, you know, kids are very trusting. And I, yeah, I agree to piggyback on that. You know, this thing about Biden wanting to get internet to the entire country, especially the underserved, as we can all say, undereducated groups and minorities. The problem is that they don't have any training on how to use technology. They're the most like vulnerable in my mind because they're uneducated. You're giving them access to the internet you're opening them up. They're not going to have any wherewithal on how they're being tracked. There's no guardrails. You're exploiting. You're basically, they're opening up for expo exploitation at a massive scale. And that scares the hell out of me because while I'm all for equal um, rights to access and information, you have to educate people. And I think what you're tapping into is the literacy, like cyber literacy. There should be a whole initiative that goes right. with that. Because if you're going to give them those tools, you better tell them what they should and shouldn't be using those tools for. Well, then we could expect companies to later on, although they have a fiduciary responsibility to try and make as much money as they can to their shareholders, but in lieu of regulations that would force them to do that, which I'm not necessarily opposed to, but at least in our Leary. society, we use yeah. our education system to help, you know, and then hopefully that would then turn around and have kids educating their grandparents on Hey, Grandma, watch out about this. I was taught this, and then they, they it's just part of what we use our education system for. And I would like to, that's where I like to see regulations or requirements is that in schools, they also have a, a course throughout the, just like they have courses on all types of things, right? Yeah. I think the analogy is like, uh, so I was CEO of a 500 person company, right? And we, the IT guy, and I 100% agreed it, you know, new employees had to go through a cybersecurity training because the big issue that I had as CEO, that people would come to me in my company and say, hey, I got, just got that text from you about that wire transfer. I'm like, I'm, I'm not texting you about wire transfers, right? Or emails, uh, you know, it's called CEO fraud, that uh, one morning I was walking through, you know, got into the office and someone poked their head and said, hey, Tom, we're, we're almost got that wire transfer, $150,000, we'll, 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 we'll kick it off. I'm like, what? 150,000, what, right? You know, and what they did was, is they bought a domain that it was, because we had a I in our company domain, they bought the same domain, but instead of an I, it was a one, right? And so they bought the domain, it looked like, it was a lookalike domain, right? And they sent the email from tom.kemp at, and then instead of, the, the company was called Centrify. It was Centrify with the one, but who the heck sees that? So they even had, it wasn't like, you know, G, you know, ABC 2837 at Gmail asking for the wire transfer. It was Tom.Kemp, right? And they knew exactly who to send it to. And what they did is, in fact, they actually showed like an approval cycle. They, they mimicked approval cycle of people within the organization, right? And uh, we, we stopped that. And it was funny, we called the FBI and said, hey, we got this going on. And while we're on the phone with the FBI, Tom Kemp 
was sending emails to the person say, I haven't seen the wire yet. Why hasn't it approved? Been, been approved. So it was like a real-time hacking while we were on the phone with the FBI while this was going on, right? And so that is why I was like, for now on, and I sent a company, I, I said, everyone has to be trained that, that, you know, it is okay if you get some sort of request from the CEO, it's okay to pick up the phone and call me. And here's my phone number, right? And I also told people that I'm always, my, my default signature is gonna have something in my email. So if you get something else with my name, then, then it's someone's faking it right there. Cause I'll always have this default signature that with something in it right there, that kind of unique, um, et cetera. So that's security training. State law mandates HR training, right? Like, yes. and so, and actually it turns out that's a good thing right because as a business owner like oh my god you know like that's the you're gonna get if, if there's some sort of sexual harassment going on you're gonna get sued as a company because you didn't have the, the foster and i 100 percent agree um and i actually make allusion to that about public service announcement better training in in one of the sections about you know cyber awareness um, privacy awareness, um, you know, harassment, et cetera. And I do think it should happen, um, you know, uh, you know, there and, and it, and that should complement specific regulations as well. So it's, again, part of what I'm trying to do with this book is just have these type of conversations because the reality is, and Brian, you brought this up is that with AI, things are going to get even worse. Right? Well, and how many millions of dollars did the city of Oakland lose? because of that recent phishing attack that brought the entire government to its knees for, for months. It took them, I think my dad who lives there, it's like, they're still not operating. Like functionally, they were a dysfunctional city to begin with, but now they're completely unable to even serve their people because of a phishing and it was an exploitation. Like they were asking for millions of dollars. Yeah. So I hope that they serve as a model to other city governments because at the end of the day, it's our tax dollars that are, being yeah. abused and wasted and you know yeah. you're you think this isn't going to affect you like no we're all in the cyber world together we are all going to be affected by this even if you do everything right yeah all it takes and and again i bring back my parents and many people my age it's kind of scary to see what's going on and how they're being targeted by scammers and yeah. how essentially there will be no generational wealth because it'll be transferred to uh, Indonesia or somewhere overseas by the North, time. North Korea. Yeah, no, yeah. North, that, that's the uh, yeah, ransomware is probably the main source of income for North Korea. Wow. But Tom, doesn't it concern you that the policy and procedure process that you're talking about building the regulation and that kind of stuff is being put together by the least literate group cyber literature you can yeah. probably come up Tech with literature. which are political the political class who's out to do six second sound bites and this is a highly complex problem the, the the regulation can have unintended consequences and we always get them mm -hmm. because <laughs> no one thought about all the ways these things could happen because they weren't technologists right yeah. and, well, and so uh, you have the least literate writing the rules but that's where they got taught. That's where they got taught. Well, actually, you know what? Um, I have, I personally, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, no, but you raise a great point because there was that famous Orrin Hatch, you know, said to Mark Zuckerberg, so how do you guys make money, right? You know, 
uh, and it's like, Senator, we, we serve ads, right? And, and then the other thing is, was that most recently they also had like the Google CEO, et cetera, and this politician was complaining that his, e his basically spam emails were, were not appearing. Uh, and then like the CEO said, yeah, we created this promotions tab inside Gmail. So it's not showing, you're still getting the emails, it's just in a different tab up at top. And then there was another incident where, you know, someone was railing against, uh, you know, the, you know, an iPhone um, and he was asking that the CEO of Google and the guy's answer was, uh, Senator, uh, we don't make iPhones, right? You know, so I, I agree with you, but what I have seen is in defense is that, um, that there has been some significant kind of upgrading of the, the technical skills uh, of the staff and the people trying to make this happen. And, and so I, I did work on Prop 24 here in California, the California Privacy Rights Act. It does create the uh, California Privacy Protection Agency. I've worked with these people. I know these people. These are the top people. Um, so if, if you guys were worried about that, just for what it's worth, I actually think that the people that we have working in the Privacy Protection Agency in California, including uh, Ashkan Sultani, who is the executive director. He was the former CTO at the FDC and, and uh, he even won some Pulitzer Prizes for some research that he helped the Washington Post do as well uh, in you know spying and hacking and all that stuff. So we've got some top people, but you're right. It, it does need to, we need to better educate the, the policymakers because it's only gonna get worse, right? Um, with, with, with AI um, and just further accelerating things. And we can't go through the same situation we did with the collection of data and just kind of ignore it and then let these problems just go out of control because AI, and we're already see, look, your kids, you know, TikTok, that is like AI on steroids in terms of the ability, just based on your micro signals to figure out what you like, who you are, and then keep you addicted. And so that is why in the last you know, few years that TikTok is the, the most popular uh, app for kids. And on average, an average American kid spends over an hour a day on TikTok and each video is about 20, 30 seconds. So you can just do, they're, they're watching hundreds of videos every day. And that's the average American kid. And so, um, you know, so, and that is like, you know, the, how AI can be used for addict to facilitate addictive, um, you know, behavior uh, as well. So, so we do need to step it up. Um, based on, you know, you'd be somebody's opinion, I would probably trust. Do you think TikTok will be banned? I do not. Okay. Uh, there's actually, so the answer is no, because it's a ban from like, a, like they, they passed that ban in Montana. And so that, that violates people's, uh, the way it's written, it violates first amendment rights. Right. Um, but you can through, uh, national defense say, I'm not going to allow certain companies from certain countries to operate business in this certain way. So you could actually, in a, there's, there's better, more constitutional, better ways, if you are that paranoid and, and fear TikTok, to actually force them to not have data feed into China 
And TikTok is working really hard actually with Oracle in, the, in trying to set up data centers in Texas, and they're calling it Project Texas, um, where they would you know, not have the funnel of data go, go to China as well. So I think that is a better way, just like we may not, what's it? You guys probably know it. What was the gear, the Huawei? What is that? The, the, highway. Yeah, yeah, highway. I'm sorry. That, that, that we, that's been banned because it's Chinese manufacture, right? So you can do that. You can say, I'm, we're not going to import products that, that come from these countries, et cetera. So you could, you could also say from an, an old past constitutional muster that, um, that certain products that may feed data into North, and you could say China, North Korea, blah, 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 right? And that's the way you can go about it. And so their motivation would be to completely move everything uh, right there, which would address some of the concerns that, that, that they have with uh, TikTok in terms of the, the Chinese government eventually getting access to it. I spend a lot of time in the book talking about this as well. The ironic thing is, is that TikTok is doing the same thing that Google is doing, what Meta is doing, et cetera, um, you know, in terms of all this detailed behavioral collection. Um, it just so happens that they that that potentially the Chinese government may have access to it, as opposed to advertisers in the U.S. Um, and so I know TikTok is going to work really hard to completely set up a data infrastructure uh, and cut the ties with the data being fed to China, so they don't get banned. Um, but you know what? The bit, one of the most shocking things I read in here was, and I didn't realize this was that. The value of our data to these companies, I think you said, is about $147 per year per yes. user. So yeah. you, know, you don't pay for Facebook, but you are paying because you are the product and they're selling your data to advertisers. I wonder what that number is for TikTok users. Like if it's a $340 billion company, all yeah. those kids that aren't paying for it. That, I would just say on that, they're on the way. So, actually, I can, I can tell you. So uh, TikTok has, say, 2 billion users, and they're projected to do, uh, I think, this year, 12 billion in revenue. So it's it's only $6, but take into account that that's on a worldwide basis. And so if you look at Facebook's, so the $147 um, is actually for U.S. people, right? But uh, where there's 330 now, Facebook has 3 billion, and so they the the majority of usages of Facebook and Instagram are not in the U.S. Two, so in the U.S. it's 300 million users. Outside it's 2.7. They do break down the revenue by regions, and so the cost uh, or the revenue per user in Asia is maybe 10 bucks or something like that, kind of like what TikTok's getting because the majority of usage is in Asia. Um, but in the US, it's a, it's a higher premium uh, that they can get, $150. You can just simply say, here's how many monthly average users of Facebook and divide it by the US revenue and boom, and that's how you calculate. Yes, if you use Facebook and you sign up for it, that gives that gives $150 a year to Mark Zuckerberg. Did you know that it's not free? And the last thing I wrote this down early, and then we'll wrap it up, is yeah. why does Europe have this GDPR requirement, and the U.S. doesn't seem to have any protection for its citizens? <sighs> yeah. So coming out of it's like wearing my history hat, right? That. Um, that uh, you know, coming out of World War II, what would happen with Germany? That 
they actually uh, built into the the Declaration of Human Rights that they got from the UN. They built it into the, the EU that that their privacy has been built in. And I think there's a greater sensitivity there than in the United States. And so they were able to pass this GDPR. It's a it's a comprehensive privacy law. And uh, in the U.S., we do not have a federal privacy law. And you know, and it turns out when it comes to consumer protection. California kind of leads the nation. It's called the California effect. It started with car safety and emissions, and now we're seeing that with privacy. And so California was the first state to have a uh, comprehensive state privacy law, et cetera. In, in the federal side of things, we have not had any significant privacy laws since the 90s. That was HIPAA and Graham-Leach-Bliley, and probably everyone's familiar with HIPAA, right? But that is a it has privacy, but it only deals with people that actually take money and uh, you know that has electronic transactions that occur. So your your if you have a health app, right, and you put in like all your personal stuff uh, on it about you're pregnant or your it tracks your 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 medicine or whatever, that's not covered by HIPAA, right? But if you go to someone that takes electronic transfers of money like like your insurance company, your your doctor, your hospital, it is covered. And so the problem that we've had is is that the that HIPAA and Graham Leach Bliley and even SOX is pre-iPhone, pre-Google IPO, pre-even, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was not even in college. Um, you know, uh, and so we haven't had any significant privacy laws passed. And you know it's just gotten worse because of the dysfunction. And so what's happening is is that we're now up to 12 states that have state laws, and it's probably going to be the same thing. We I don't know if we'll ever get a federal privacy law. You guys are probably familiar with data breach notification laws, right? California was the first. We and that that happened in the 90s, like a year or two ago. Finally, like Mississippi had like. They became the 50th state. It only took them 15 years, Mississippi. Woohoo! But they finally got a data breach notification law. So now we have 50 different data breach notification laws. So if one of your guys' customers has a big operation in Mississippi or whatever, and they get breached, they got to follow different rules, right? Um, and unfortunately, that's probably what's going to also happen with privacy, because we do need a national standard. But it's just, but the reality is, it's just kind of the dysfunction that we have in DC that won't have this this happen. So, but maybe, hey, maybe, you know, you can hand your your congressman or senator this book and say, hey, look at appendix two. Tom actually in three pages spells out exactly what should be in a privacy law, right? Just rip it out, hand it to them and say, just just do this. And that will solve about 80% of the problems that we that we have right now. So They'll immediately ask whether it's printed in red or blue ink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, or green. Or yeah. green. <laughs> We're coming up on an hour, and I want to respect people's time. We came and uh, spent an hour with us. But is there uh, maybe some just parting words, Tom, you want to kind of share? And I think that you have a really good intention with this book in what yeah. you're trying to establish. And it's not to like bolster you or your opinions. There's not, it doesn't seem to be a lot of self-serving things in here. That's what I, I think I was struck with by the book is yeah. not always the case. Like you're not trying to sell something to the reader, which is really nice. I, I, I'm no longer CEO of a company. 
uh, and uh, I don't have a product to sell. Um, and uh, are you talking about so, doing free education for yeah, free so. education? So I'm just like, you know, it's just like a guy that was like been seeing this, living and breathing this, and I'm like, okay, let me, let me, let me, let me instead of uh, you know explaining to your uncle Larry how Facebook works, just like, okay, here, just, here's the book right here. But uh, no, I think my my parting thoughts are is is that is that uh, I think we all should, as consumers, you know, think about how we can reduce our data footprint, right? Because that, if you have too much data leaking around, bad things can happen. And I really fundamentally believe that there's some simple things that can be done to really improve things. The, the, and I talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, on your iPhone, there is this, go to privacy settings, there's called this app tracking transfer, yeah. yeah, and just turn it on, and that blocks the third-party trackers that are embedded in your mobile apps from getting your data. And the thing is, is that when you say this app can actually, you know, track my location, any third parties that are embedded in the app can take advantage of your location as well. So you're not right. just you're saying not you're to that app, right? You, yeah, it, it's being sent. Your location is being sent to 30 different places, right? So doing something like that is huge. And by, by the way, its default is on, is, is, sorry, it's off and you want to turn it on. So you have to manually go in and do make this change. Yeah, but it takes 10 seconds, right? But, but, but you got to do it, right? The other thing is, is that, you know, uh, that there's ad blockers, but there's also third-party tracker blockers, and there's a free one called Privacy Badger. I, it's free. I have no relationship with them. You can put it on your Chrome, and the cool thing is you actually see, like every time you visit a website, it kind of shows you how many third-party blockers, I mean third-party trackers are being blocked on that. And then also the other thing is each phone has an advertising ID. It's called a mobile advertising ID that identifies you. You actually have an identifier. So you just can go in there on both Google and, and iPhone and reset it to zero. It takes you 10 seconds. And so they no longer can can uniquely identify what apps you're using, what you're doing, et cetera. So there's just like a few things that if you can reduce your emissions of data, that it reduces the fact that someone could either, you know, trick you and scam you or hack your data to fish you. Um, or identity theft, et cetera. So it's just producing the data footprint, doing these certain things. Obviously, these guys by default are not going to turn them on because that's their business models, right? But, they, but they've been pressured to put these there. We just have to turn on the switch. And those are some of the examples. I put that in Appendix 1 of like stuff you can do in a few, few minutes and boom, you're, you're going to be much more protected. All right. And just remind people where, what your website is. Yeah, it's uh, so tomkemp.ai is uh, my website. Feel free to visit it, and uh, uh, and then you can read more about the book. Um, you can see where I credit Bob for the one correction that I now have uh, right here. That was great, Bob. And then also, um, you know, I, I I do blogs on privacy and security, etc. And uh, and you can also click it to to order the book. And it's going to be available August 22nd, but you can pre-order it now. And it's available on ebook and audio and, of course, good old paper. And you can also find Tom on LinkedIn and follow what he's doing with. Yeah, please connect. And Twitter at TomKemp.00. But I don't know if Twitter's going to be around that longer, much longer. <laughs> I'd like to make a, a closing comment. I found the book to be exceptionally well-written, well-researched. Uh, I mean, a lot of the... the directions that you go with it can go in different ways. Uh, 
but I, but I found it a very good stimulating read to, to go through and, and think about it. Because I do think this is a, a big element that we're facing, uh, but I don't think that solutions are nearly as simple as the politicians would like to reduce it to six second sound bites. And this is not a six second read, yeah. but it's well worth reading. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by SoftTech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit SoftTech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.